0: No, I honestly, I would love if we could just do a community time service someday where all we do is just hang out and, and talk and celebrate what God has done. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe we could do that. Anyway, hey, uh, good to see everybody. I'd like to open today with a scripture from Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the screen. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will be no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Amen? Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Just a couple quick things before we get started. Last week was great for a lot of reasons, but one big reason was it's our friend Doug's birthday this past week. So, Doug, we love you. Happy birthday. It was also uh, Rod and Lori's 46th wedding anniversary this past week. Lori, you made it. I would just round up to 50 from here, okay? So... Uh, and then also, if you didn't know, we have a new serve, first time serving today. Our friend Ramon is serving in back for the first time. Everyone can turn around and say hi to Ramon. <clears throat> uh, we love when uh, when people choose to call this place home and choose to make it home by serving it. And so thank you, Ramon, for doing that today. We're really grateful for you. All right. Uh, so great to be back with you in the greatest city in the known world, La Crescena. If you didn't know, Rebecca and I, Pastor Rebecca and I, were. Uh, and the kids, we spent the last week down in the great state of Mississippi, uh, at Clinton, Mississippi, just outside the state capital of Jackson. Rebecca's parents uh, lived there, and she grew up there. And it had, it had been three years since the kids had seen them because of COVID and schedules. And so we said, enough is enough for heading south. And it was amazing. So many playgrounds, no traffic ever. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> So many playgrounds, no traffic, so many walks, so much sweet tea, and Jane, so many Hallmark movies at night. Okay, I'm just saying. I watched one last night too, and it just warmed my heart. I will talk about it after service, okay? But it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. My boy, my boy Ford, even at the end uh, when we were leaving, he was just lamenting in the car, saying, "No, can we just stay another day? I don't want to leave Gigi and Pop." And uh, and so we're so grateful, but. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know how much we appreciated the opportunity to go. If you didn't know, the the church office was closed this last week, allowing all the staff to be able to just spend time with family and just kind of enjoy the season leading up to Christmas. And so it was much needed. I missed you, but it was much needed and much appreciated. So that was Thanksgiving. But what about y'all? How was Thanksgiving for you? It was good? Yeah? Okay. Uh, Best dinner item? Anybody? Gravy. Gravy. I, I track. That feels good. All right, what do you think, Norm? What was the best dinner item for Thanksgiving? I'm sorry. The best dinner item. Oh, best dinner item, dinner item is, uh, fresh there you go, cranberry relish. Anybody else? Robert, what do you think about for dinner? What was the best thing you had? Turkey? Did anyone did anyone take more than more than 2 hours to cook their turkey? Did anyone take more than 5 hours to cook their turkey? Did anyone smoke their turkey this year? Does anyone try deep frying it it's always something I'd like to try but it looks terrifying you do it you do it you've got a system the kids do it for you okay I celebrate it what about desserts what were desserts this year anything good pecan pie sweet potato pie Chris what did you make pumpkin pie I like it apple pie cherry cheese- cherry cheesecake I don't think the pilgrims brought that over bro I'm just gonna say it Pineapple pie, okay, cool, all right, peach pie, all right, this is good, this is good. Uh, So I don't know, I don't know, uh, I know you just said it was good, but I don't know how the week went for you, uh, but in the South, making Thanksgiving dinner is a multiple day, multiple people project. Why? Because it takes a lot of work to host a meal like Thanksgiving, and it was inspiring for me as a bit of an outsider coming in, it was inspiring as I occupied someone else's house with their family culture and their family planning, it was, it was, uh, it was inspiring to see some of the unspoken rhythms that, that existed in the house for who did what and when. Does that make sense? Because it is a lot of work. Chris, I'm sure you understand what I mean here. My mother-in-law, Diane, she was quarterback for the week, okay? She called the plays, she set the menu, and everyone knew it, okay? Everyone knew she was the boss for the week. Father-in-law, Don, he played wide receiver. And... <laughs> He was ready and able to run the route, catch the pests, drive to the grocery store to get sweet potatoes, drive back to get cranberries, drive back to get rolls and corn and whatever else was on Diane's menu. Uh, And and I'd been there for a couple Thanksgivings uh, since we've been married now for over a decade, which is awesome. Uh, But the clarity of expectation this year and the participation in the expectation was amazing to see. And I I totally forgot about uh, Rebecca's sister, uh, Kelly. Every night, she set the table like clockwork, whether it was for pizza or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like, she crushed it every time. This family, friends, this family had a rhythm to their life. But then I get into the house, okay? And y'all, even with the best of intentions, I swear I get in the way the whole week. (laughs) I I woke up late. I wake up later, you know, than everyone else. I didn't know the times to, to where to be places. I didn't know what to expect for breakfast. I didn't know the seats at the table. And then on top of that, I got a cold on Tuesday, and I was kind of useless for a couple days. And, and I know that they love me, and I know they love me, and they were thrilled that we were there with them because they are amazing people. But it was not absent on me that there were likely moments after I left the room that they were just like, oh, David, bless his heart, you know? And that's not on them. Listen, that's on me. That's on me. Why? Because even though it was my family, they are my family. The reality is, wasn't it? Isn't my house? It wasn't my place to make decisions. It was their place, and I didn't know uh, what work was. I I was assigned to do. I I didn't know how to be helpful. Sometimes does that make sense? I didn't have a project. and, and I wonder if anyone here has ever experienced something similar where, and maybe it was this last week for you as you were hanging out with family and outside of routine a bit, where perhaps you're used to being in control, you're used to making decisions, you're high D on the disc inventory, uh, but, but now you find yourself in a place riding shotgun, not really sure how to be you in the new. And then... And again, maybe it's a holiday with extended family. Maybe there have been some changes at work. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you just started coming to this this church and you really like it because the pastor is really open about all of his failures and you're just feeling connected. But regardless, you're still trying to figure out how to be the best you in the new. Like, where do I fit? How do I help? What is my role? What is my purpose in this new project I find myself in? Has anyone ever been there? Every hand should be up I imagine we've all felt a healthy measure of uncertainty When you don't know where you fit Not necessarily That we're out of place But we're just not in place If that makes sense Listen, And that's because To really be a part of something To own the change That you have to know your position in it You have to know your role And the work assigned to you Otherwise there's no ownership there's no accountability, and even more, there's no enjoyment in the season. We need to find our place, we need to find our purpose within the project. And and it's this kind of overarching concept of place and purpose within a project that we'll be digging into today as we conclude our study of the Book of Colossians. And if you're just joining us, uh, for the last nine weeks, we have been going through the Book of Colossians, low and slow. Uh, this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Church of Colossae. Uh, We've read every single word out loud. And we've learned a ton about what it means to really walk this narrow road called faith with Jesus. We learned about what it takes to walk it, but more importantly, we learned about why it's so important we walk it. Why we must commit our steps of this life to Jesus if we are Christians. And that's because... As we learned in the scripture here, that Jesus Christ, from Colossians 1, is God. This is our confession we just had during communion, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, and he deserves everything that he has given us, and then some. Jesus is God, and he reigns supreme over all creation, over the things that we can see and the things that we can't. Over over everything that was created, and it's this Jesus who called you and saved you because of your faith and his grace. This Jesus has, has brought you into a brand new life and, and he's given you a brand new reality to call home, a reality that's known by a few different names. And the reality is called the church, it's called the kingdom of God, and it's called ultimately eternity. And this reality where the old is gone, this is the old life, and the new has come, where once we were dead. This is what we've been learning over the past nine weeks. Once we were dead, over here, but now we are alive in Christ. Once we were an enemy of God, we were separated from God by our evil thoughts and actions, but now, because of the saving work of Jesus, we've been brought close to him. Close to Jesus, close to God the Father, forever because of the work on the cross. He has brought us into a brand new reality, and this shift from the old to the new, this resettlement into a new reality, though it might take some time, in our hearts and minds to settle into. This change, it ultimately demands everything in our life. No more compartments. No more eternities over here, but today's over here. No more secondary allegiances. No more compromise. No, if you're a Christian, then it's Jesus plus nothing. It's always only him, his rule and his way. And this, this way of Jesus is what we've been reading about and working through in this letter towards the church in Colossae, a church in a world that's ripe with spiritual interests just like ours, but often lacked commitment to their confession. There were members of this church in Colossae, as we've learned, that, that were still living in their past. There were these legalistic Jews that had joined the church and given their life to Jesus. but but the, And so they, they believed that Jesus was Lord, but just in case the blood of Jesus that made them new didn't make them entirely new, they were still going to hold back and do all of the old stuff just to make sure. So they, they trusted Jesus, but only so much, and, and they wanted to make sure that the cross was enough to cover their sins for later. And so for them, salvation was Jesus plus good works. And maybe you can relate to some of this, where you know that God loves you and he's brought you into this new thing, but you're still holding on to all of these old ideas of what it means to make God happy. Then there were other members of the church that were dabbling in mysticism and syncretism, which is the worship of multiple gods. And they were walking this line believing that Jesus was God, but so was Zeus. So was Artemis, so was Aphrodite, and, uh, and, and, and don't forget the angels and all the other, the spiritual powers of the world. And so while they believed in Jesus, they also continued to worship their former gods, just in case Jesus wasn't big enough to cover every part of today. And let me expand on that for just a minute because where the Jewish converts to the church in Colossae had doubts about Jesus for eternity, you know, they hustled to be righteous enough on their own, the mystics had doubt about Jesus for today, so they kept on worshiping their former gods that, had, that they believed brought provision, daily provision, fertility, sun, rain as a backup. And this was the church culture to which Paul was speaking into when he wrote in chapter one that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus has no equal or rival, verse 16, and that through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. This is verse 19 of chapter 1. For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in on earth, in heaven and on earth, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Paul was saying, y'all, and he's saying to y'all, Jesus is the boss. He's the boss, and he and he chose you. To call you his family. Your salvation and provision is not found in your works. Your salvation and provision is not found in some other fake counterfeit pursuit or God that you used to pray to. No, you're saved into a new reality. A whole new world from here to eternity because he said so. Because he made peace with you. Your place, your position, your purpose with God has nothing to do with you. and has everything to do with him. Your only job, this is from Paul, your only job, your role in response to this update in reality is to live faithful. To live faithful. And he breaks down living faithfully over the course of these four chapters. I just wanna give you a couple uh, examples of what he meant. Uh, It won't be on the screen, but just if you're taking notes, so here's the chapter and verse. So in chapter two, verse six, Paul says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. Then chapter three, verse one says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. This is faithfulness. For you died to this life. You died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And wherever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And one more. Chapter 4, starting in verse 2, says, Devote yourselves to prayer and with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Thanksgiving, huh? Pretty good. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. This is a life of faithfulness. This is the narrow road that he has invited us onto. This is a life of fidelity to Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's stripping off the old. It's stripping off the old life and choosing to live the best you in the new, to find your place in the place that God has brought you. Why? Because you're different now. You are no longer who you once were. Now you belong to Jesus And every single part of your life is meant to be transformed by this reality. Every single part of your life is meant to be transformed in the shift from the old to the new. Every single part. Your emotions, your thoughts, your desires, your families, your careers, your sexuality, your finances, your mercy, your justice, your love. Everything. There's nothing that remains untouched by the lordship of Jesus when you're brought from death to life. Everything changed because Jesus, who reigns supreme, called you out of the dark and into his marvelous light. Now it's up to you to go live different. And this is the book of Colossians. This is what we've learned over the past nine weeks. Which brings us up to this closing passage that if you've been reading through this book over the past couple months, uh, you probably kind of skim past a little bit. I imagine that a lot of people skip this uh, when they preach it, because in it, Paul is kind of winding down his letter. This is not a textbook, if you remember. Now, we might read it that way sometimes. But this was a letter to a church. And at the end of the letter, he kind of includes this salutation, this farewell to a church family with a bunch of names and roles in his final goodbye. But y'all... We are committed to every word of this letter, and I believe there's some good news for us in it. So for today, as we conclude, I'd like to just read the scripture from start to finish, and then we're going to go back, address a little bit of the names, a little bit of the context, and the potential questions we might have uh, before parking on a big-picture takeaway from the letter. Does that sound good? Okay, cool. So here we go. We're, uh, and pray for me on some of these names that I'm going to be reading aloud, because uh, here we go. And if someone else knows it, you let me know. Starting in verse 7, it says this. This is our passage for today. And just a reminder, God included this in the Scriptures on purpose, okay? This is here for us to know and to read and to learn from, to process. So here we go. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. If you're taking notes, you can underline, in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Verse 9. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychus will help tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus. Yeah? Aristarchus? It feels good about that. Aristarchus? Okay. Who is in prison with me sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co workers. I love that, among my co workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Verse 12 Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And just so you know how these, how, so you've, there's a lot of cities that have come up in here. I've got a little map. Gavin, can you, I think it's the last slide. Can you just do that real quick? I just wanted to show you kind of where things fit within this whole world. So the Mediterranean is the blue underneath, okay? This is, uh, and then we see Colossae on the bottom, highlighted, Laodicea, and then Hierapolis is right above it. So it would be kind of like saying to the brothers and sisters of Pasadena, La Crescenta, and Sunland, okay? Does that make sense? It was that close that these letters were being shared. Cool. Thank you. You can go back. Moving on to verse 14. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you've read the letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Verse 18, this is it. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord and the end of Colossians. Now, what do we see? What are some things? Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to walk it through a filter of three concepts or three words as we kind of look back on this section. And the three words are people, purpose, and project. Who were the people? What was their purpose? And what was the project? The people, the purpose, and the project. So Let's start this and kind of filter it through verse, starting in verse 7. The first person that Paul mentions is a guy named Titus. Ty- Tychicus, Tychicus. We're going to call him Ty for now, okay? And, uh, and while we don't know a ton about him, he's actually mentioned uh, a number of times throughout the New Testament. If you're taking notes, he's, he's mentioned in Acts chapter 20, Ephesians chapter 6, and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, and in every reference that he is given, he's, he's mentioned with this glowing recommendation from Paul. This guy is a beloved brother A faithful helper who serves with Paul through encouragement and being a messenger. This was his purpose in verse 7 in the Lord's work. The Lord's work. Now quickly, defining terms for the Lord's work. What do we mean by this? When we see the Lord's work, it can be referred back to what we say is the Great Commission, which is in Matthew chapter 28 and extended into Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says in support of Colossians, which is amazing, where he says that all authority has been given to me. Now go and tell the world about me. Make disciples of your neighbors. Make disciples of your family. Make disciples of your, of your friends, your city, of the people you don't want to be around. Make disciples of everyone, the nation, the state, and the world, and baptize them into this new reality. And then send them out to do the same. This is the Lord's work. The holy project of redemption And salvation and reconciliation, all because of God's great love for the world. And Tychicus, he knew the project, and he found his purpose in it. He was a messenger, and he was an encourager. Paul was playing quarterback, okay? He was QB, and he was charged with giving a full report of all that was happening in Rome, because Paul was in prison in Rome at the time. So this is people, purpose, project. The next name we see is Onesimus, and this is gets gets a little interesting. A little backstory on an Onesimus. Onesimus is actually a runaway slave uh, of a guy named Philemon. Has anyone ever heard of the name Philemon? Right, pretty cool, right? So Philemon has a book of the Bible named after him, and he was also believed to be the wealthy Christian of which the Church of Colossae assembled in his house. Isn't this amazing? And so Paul here is saying that he's sending Onesimus, who was once Philemon's slave. He's sending Onesimus, and he's saying that Onesimus is a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. And Tychicus, the encourager, he's sending them both to, again, catch you up on everything that's happening. Now, if anyone had any tensions with how Paul addressed slavery a few weeks ago, I hope this puts your mind at ease, because he's essentially saying to the owner, Philemon, who was hosting the church in his house, He's sending this letter and he's saying, um, listen, Onesimus is one of your own. He is one of you. He is a faithful and beloved brother and he has a message for you. He is no longer a slave. He is a brother. This is his purpose within the project. Amazing, right? Next, Aristarchus. There we go, Aristarchus. I actually looked it up this morning on Google how to pronounce it. And I wrote it phonetically in my notes, so it's Aristarchus, Aristarchus. Okay, here we go. So our Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, also known as Justice, these guys are also co-workers in the Lord's work with Paul. Interesting detail in verse 11 is that they were the only Jewish believers among his co-workers, and this was a great comfort to Paul. Verse 12, we see Epaphras. Epaphras was, if you remember from chapter one, he was basically the pastor for this church in Colossae. So while it might've met in Philemon's house, Epaphras was the pastor and he was the leader and he's the one that reached out to Paul for insight in the first place, which is why we have the letter to the Colossians. And Paul is saying that Epaphras always prays for you. He's always asking God to make you strong and perfect and following in the whole will of God. This is his purpose. He is a leader. He is the shepherd within the work of God. Now, down to verse 14, Luke, the author of Luke and Acts, the book of Acts, sends his greetings. So does Demas. Then Paul asks that this church, that his greeting be passed on to other local churches in the area, one of which was meeting in a, in a house, uh, a woman's house named Nympha. And, and I just hope you see this that every name here listed matters to the kingdom of God. Every name here matters and has purpose within the project of redemption of the world. Every name has a purpose within God's work, and we've got one left, and this is my favorite. In verse 17, just before this epic farewell of remember my chains, may God's grace be with you. Paul says this to a guy named Archippus, and it's this instruction we're gonna kind of park on for the rest of our time as we look at people, purpose, and project. He says, Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Be sure to carry out the ministry or the role The position, the purpose that the Lord gave you. Now, what mission, what ministry, what role, purpose, or place did the Lord give Archippus within the greater project of God? We have no idea. But you know what? Archippus did. And Paul was writing to remind him, and through it ultimately remind us of that same call. Go and do the work, go and do the work the Lord gave you to do. Go and do the work the Lord gave you to do. Your place, your position, your purpose within the project of salvation. And it's important for us to remember that the work given to Archippus and to us by God, it's not done with some, with some uh, motivation or, or hope of trying to earn our place over here, right? The work that God gives us doesn't get us over here. We do the work because we're already over here. We started over here, in our past, in our shame. And God, because of his mercy and his grace and his love, he brought us into the new. And now that we're new, God is just saying, live new. You've got some work to do. Your purpose, your place, and your position within the project. We do the Father's work because we live in the Father's house. If you're a Christian, then this is how you live under his rule and his reign and his authority. He welcomed you in. Now it's your job to go welcome others in too. And this applies to all of us, not just professional Christians or church leaders or pastors or worship leaders. God has given all of us in this new reality, he's given us all gifts to help welcome the lost home. He's given us all jobs to do and a part to play within God's great work. And that's exactly what we saw just a moment ago in our opening scripture from Ephesians and 1 Corinthians when he writes to this church just down the road in Ephesus. He says, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, their role, their purpose is to equip God's people to do the work, his work, and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son. Moving down to verse 14, he says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is head of the body of the church. Christ, he, verse 16, makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and this is it. As each part does its own special work, okay? We're back to the beginning here. As each part, who is each part? It's you, okay? As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. As you all do your own special work, You help the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So my dear brothers and sisters, as I speak this over you, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. God welcomed you. Now your job is to help welcome others in ways only you can. And I know that this might be a shift, but friends, you have the rest of your life to work this out. Seriously, this is why you're still here after you got saved, because what's the point otherwise? Why would you give your life to Jesus and then have to wait around to die unless your salvation for eternity was intended to also bring about a righteous purpose for today? This is why we're here, from Ephesians 4, 16, one more time, as each part does its own special work it helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of life. Healthy, growing, full of love, this is the work. And we all have our part to play. We've all got some work to do to build up the church in unity, to share the message of Jesus with humility and to worship passionately. We all have work to do. Luke was a doctor, Onesimus was a slave, Epaphras was a pastor and Paul was a prisoner. Still, they all found their purpose and their place within the project of God. How? Because they knew that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. No person on God's team ever sits the bench. We're all starters, friends. We're all in the game, whether we know it or not. But this means, friends, we gotta be ready to make some plays. We all need to like the list of relatively unknown names of Colossians 4, we need to wake up to our purpose in God's project. Or maybe better said, we need to discover the way our life is best used in showing the world what God is like, and then spend as much of your life doing that. We need to discover the ways God is most obviously seen in our lives or revealed through us, and then do that faithfully in all things at all times until we die. Now, what does this look like as we close? We're getting, we're getting close. How can we discover who we are or our purpose in this grand work of God? Some of you might be thinking, listen, I, I, I would change oil for a living. What, what are you talking about? Like, where's my purpose in this? Or, you know, I'm, I'm a student or... Uh, I'm, I'm in between jobs, or I'm, I'm still trying to find one, or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out life. I don't even know what's, what's happening. How, how, can I find my, how can I find my way? Well, it's really just two quick things. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. And it's just two quick things. If you want to, to know where you fit, your purpose, if you want to know where you fit within God's work, it starts with simply opening your eyes. Seriously, just just open your eyes and look around at the place God has you. Where do you spend your time? Think about this for a moment. On any given week, where do you spend the most of your time? Who's there? Where do you spend your time? Work, home, school, freeway, church, all of the above? Because it's there, where you are, that God wants to use you in his work. God wants to use you where you already are and in the things you already know to make himself known to the world. He does. And there is no job too small. Friends, Onesimus was a slave, right? And he still had purpose in God's work. Now, what about you? First step is opening your eyes to see where God has you. From being a student at school, a parent at work, a rocket scientist doing space stuff, An empty nester trying to figure out what's next or a guy like me visiting his in-laws for Thanksgiving. Listen, God wants to use you for his work to carry his message wherever you are and to whoever is there. So that's first, open your eyes to where God has you. The second step before we close is this. As you open your eyes, you need to begin to open your heart to say, God, use me. Say, God, use me. Can we just say that together real quick? There's something about reciting together. So say this together with me aloud. God, use me. One more time. God, use me. One more time if you mean it. God, use me. This is what it takes to be faithful. It's opening up your heart to the reality you've received, that you are not here, you are now here. The reality you've received and saying daily and in every decision, Jesus, your way is better. You are in charge. I am going to follow you. Use me wherever I am for your glory. From a weekend meal with family to church on Sunday to leading teams at work on a Monday to sweeping floors on a Tuesday, all it takes is saying, Jesus, you are in charge. Use me in this moment for your glory. Open your heart to say, Jesus, Use me for your glory. And it's there when we begin to shift our vision, our expectation, and our motivation, it's there that we ultimately find our place within God's great work. It's there that we'll be able to stand firm. Christ is my firm foundation in, in the things that we were taught and making the most of every opportunity. And so, one more time from, from Corinthians 15. My dear brothers and sisters, Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Where? Wherever you are and with whatever you do. Do it for the glory of God. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. Friends, God loves you. He believes in you. And he wants to work through your life to make himself known in the world. So open your eyes to where he has you and open to your heart so he can use you. And this concludes the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful for today. We're so grateful that you love us and that you have called us to more than just waiting around to die. But God, you want to use us for absolutely eternal and unbelievably Incredible things this side of heaven, God, that you want to use our life. You want to use our good stuff and our bad stuff. You want to use like the, the, the past, the present, and even the future for your glory, God. It's just totally amazing. And, and I just want to thank you, Jesus, for that. I just want to thank you that you love us and you believe in us enough to invite us into your work, to give us a purpose within your plan and your, and your project. God, we celebrate the project we celebrate that you are good and you, and you love us so much that you came to earth, even as this omnipotent, supreme God named Christ that you came to earth and you took on human skin and you went to the cross so that we could be made new, God. We, we, we celebrate the, the, the project of salvation. But God, today, I just, I just wanna thank you for our purpose within it. God, that you you have brought us from dark to light to live as light in a world of darkness. So God, we ask that you would just give us the courage to shine bright wherever we are. And God, that we would use whatever we do to help make you known to the world around us. God, we know that the church, the kingdom of God, eternity, God, this new reality we occupy, it is, it is now our home. And so, God, we ask that you'd help, our, help us just find our place in it. And even in the shift, God, that we'd be able to settle in and really commit as much as we can to making you known in the world that we might show the world what you are truly like. And so, Jesus, we just love you and we thank you for today. We ask that this message would just continue to be a reminder, God, that everyone matters. Every name matters to God, to you. Every story matters. And God, you want to use all of us. You want to use us all in such massively huge ways. And so God, just let that message sit on all of us today. That we're all a a, a people in this project and we all have a purpose. God, help us find that purpose today. And so Jesus, we thank you for this letter to the Colossians. We thank you for the work of Paul as he has uh, brought this instruction and this clarity to us today. And uh, Jesus, we ask that you just give us courage to follow. So it's in your name that we pray. We all said...